Welcome to episode 31. We are back to regular, scratch that, amazing guests for great women in fraud. And Kim Green is truly amazing. She is a renaissance woman. She writes, directs, is a flight instructor, is building her own Eden, and she keeps the PI community moving ahead. I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode. And it is her first time on this side of the mic. I find that so weird because everyone should know about Kim. So let's go. Okay, you know who we have today? Oh my God, I am so excited because this is Kim Green's first time on this side of the table, which I was shocked when I heard that because like she should be on all the interviewing, investigating podcasts. I just, I, maybe everyone's too scared to ask you. What do you think? I don't think anybody's scared to ask me. Really? Yeah, I, I don't feel I don't feel like uh, I feel like the least intimidating person on earth. Well, you're like the nicest. Therefore, you would be probably the least intimidating, but maybe they just think you're so busy. So Kim of Pursuit Magazine and many, many other things. Why don't you give a little bit of a backstory to how you ended up being an influencer, a business owner in the investigative world? Backstory. I, I'm married to Hal Humphreys, as probably you know and everyone knows. And so we've always been kind of a, a, a team in whatever we did. So when we, um, when we were both flying, we flew planes together. Uh, when we thought about journalism, we dove into journalism and radio together. And then when Hal became a private investigator, I got my license too. Now I don't have my license anymore right now, but I did do, um, I did help him out when he started that business and I did surveillance gigs and learned about private investigations. And then a few years later, when he bought PI Education and Pursuit Magazine, that whole suite of, of online businesses, it's, you know, education and media for private investigators, I dove in with him and, worked with him on creating courses and became the editor of Pursuit. Does that sound like enough backstory? Is that what you meant? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I met you guys a long time ago through PI Education and Pursuit Magazine. And I think I was on, I did a podcast episode with you guys. Like, I think it might've been my first one ever about pink collar crime. And you guys were like way ahead of the curve for online courses, wouldn't you say? Well, you know, we didn't start that business, we bought it. So yes, PI education has been out there for a long time and I can't even off the top of my head think of how long it's, it's, it's been a long time. But, and so I, I feel like we can't totally take credit for being ahead of the curve, even though I really appreciate your saying that, but, um, yeah, I, I think so. I, I think, and it's taken a lot of PIs a while to really get behind wanting to do online education. It's fun to get together. It's fun to see each other at conferences and have an excuse to go and be with people. But this can be a really convenient way to, to have more choices. And of course, this year, people have to have it. So yeah, I answered a lot of different questions there that you didn't ask. <laughs> Well, that's the thing is like, you know, you guys have such a wide variety of courses. So whereas I'm known as the pink collar crime embezzlement fraud person, but you look on your courses and you guys have like, you know, I want to say like, you know, 
child death. You, you have so much that you can really niche down. And I think that's great because I don't know any other organization that does it. Thank you. Uh, we, we rely on the expertise of a whole lot of people besides us, obviously. So, you know, some of the courses Hal wrote or I wrote or we wrote together, and then a whole, a whole lot of them, a few we inherited when we bought the business. And then a lot of other ones are, are, are written by other people who have tons of experience and expertise in their thing. So it, it would be ridiculous for us to try to be experts in pink collar crime and write a course on that when you should do that because you're the one who has spent so much time on it. And the same goes for other things like somebody's got an undercover investigations course, um, Brian Willingham. If somebody's going to teach OSINT, it should be Brian, you know, it shouldn't be us. So uh, we're, we're lucky to have all those colleagues who are willing to play along and offer what they know to the community. Well, and I would say that they wouldn't do it if they didn't fully believe in you and how, for sure. I wouldn't do it if I didn't believe in you and how. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So you have a really interesting background. Like you said, you've done a lot of different things. But one of the things, like I kind of really got to, one summer you guys were doing the Camino in Spain. And I think I reached out to you or something and like maybe a message came back. Oh, we're not going to be, we're going to be in the office like in a month. So, but um, how do you, and then you, you have a Russian major um, and you're, you just quickly alluded to it. You are a flight instructor. Um, How, like, how does that all add to you? Like you've had a lot of experiences. I am still trying to figure all that out. (laughs) It's not, it's definitely not a, um, it's not a single brand that makes any sense, is it? You know, I can't, I don't think I can define myself in one easy phrase and the logo would be a disaster to try to include all that stuff. But um, I guess I just followed my interests and they kept leading weird places. Well, and I love that. It's, it's been fun. I, I've had a, I've had a great time and a lot of, a lot of great experiences. And, and then Hal came along and, and he was willing to, to have weird experiences too. So lucky me. So do you guys have, well, I mean, we're still kind of sort of in COVID, but do you have any other amazing adventures coming up? Like, are you going to do the Pacific Crest Trail or the Appalachian Trail or? I hope that one day, you know, we've done the Camino twice. And for those who don't know, the Camino to Santiago, it it means a lot of things. But what most people think of is this specific about 500 mile trek from the Pyrenees, the French Pyrenees to uh, Santiago de Compostela. And you can walk on to the to the sea if you like. And we did that twice, two different summers. And we loved it so much. And we made so many lifelong friends that we hope that we'll do that again. Um, the other, the main adventure that's happening right now is, is one that we can actually have during COVID. And that is probably about 15 years ago, Hal and I bought a little piece of land about an hour west of here by a river, just a really rural place. And we've slowly been building a camp there. So right now we have a, like a screen tree house kind of thing that we sleep in and a grill that we cook on and a, we actually have running water <laughs> and a real toilet that flushes, but it was years before we had that. And so you can kind of imagine how that went. Um, 
by the way, a using a bucket is possible, but sometimes wasps build nests in buckets. Oh God. Just just imagine that for a second. Take a silent moment and think about the disaster of that. And you'll see why I'm so happy that we have a real toilet now. Um, <laughs> anyway, we, we go out there most weekends, especially this year. We went out there because we could safely go there. It's, it's away from everyone. And we go and we kayak or we just sit by the river and watch it go by. We, we've learned to cook on fire, which is so much fun and so delicious. And it's, it's, the, it's the place where we feel the happiest and the most at peace. So it's a quiet well, adventure. Of, well, one of the things during COVID that you guys really, oh my gosh, the the pursuit happy hour. And you had several of them out there at the camp. And, you know, you could hear the little, like, I don't know what sort of birds and everything like that. But you and Hal just look so happy out there. But those pers pursuit happy hours, like, I got someone who reached out to me that potentially had business for me. It didn't work out, but like he knew it from that. You guys have really created quite the community. Thank you, Kelly. That's really sweet of you to say. And, you know, maybe, I guess the community was always there and people just, we all need excuses to spend time. And usually we're just so busy that nobody, nobody takes the time to just sit and talk and be silly and tell jokes and have a drink. But COVID, what else were we going to do? You know, so, so why not kill an hour every week or every two weeks or whatever it ended up being? We, it, it was an excuse to spend time together with people. We're all already, we know about each other. We're interested in each other, but we just, we slowed down long enough to pay attention. And I'm glad we did because I learned so much about people whose names I knew who I didn't know well at all. Oh my God. Paul down in New Zealand. When I can go to New Zealand, I'm going to meet Paul in person. Now he has a brand. He, <laughs> he, he could come up with a logo to define him pretty quickly. He's a great guy. He's just so funny. He's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Kim and Chris Ridding, there's so many people and like to actually put a face to it. And I mean, I don't go to a lot of private investigator type conferences. I do the ACFE, but, um, you know, I, I generally don't do those, but I really, really enjoyed them. And I just think that like the people who didn't partake, they really missed out. Oh my gosh. Like, you know, just to have that, those connections. I, and, I loved it too. And I think that once it got, you know, the first time it was maybe 40 people or something and that's, it's hard, it's hard to make that work. But when it became 12 to 15, that was really the sweet spot. That was really a lot of fun. So I haven't been on Clubhouse. Have you guys thought of Clubhouse? It, you know, it just barely sort of came onto my radar. I'm, I'm way less of an early, I'm not an early adopter. I, I should be considering we have tech businesses, but, um, yeah, I, th I think we'll adopt that, but we just, gosh, it, it is really hard to learn a new thing. <laughs> Not that I, I think Clubhouse isn't going to be a hard thing to learn, but, you know, how do you find time to, to include a new thing in your days? But, but I would like to. Are, are you, have you started it yet? Are you doing anything with it? No, I've had a lot of invitations to do it. And then, you know, this year has been kind of crazy. So I haven't done it. I want to do it. I'm just a little... Um, I want to go into one and listen to one first before I decide to fully commit. Um, right. Right. So. Well, you know, the thing that I, 
I still wish I, I want you to be my LinkedIn mentor because you are a super user of that platform. And I really just don't, I, I'm not doing it right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to do it. And, and I love how you are fully engaged there and you found your people there and they, and they found you. Well, um, so like, this is just a foreshadowing. I would love to do LinkedIn for investigators in their brand, maybe not so much to investigate on LinkedIn. I mean, I could do that, but um, I just, this morning, 11,111 connections. I was just like, ah, that's kind of weird number. Um, but, you know, the thing is, is like, um, the only people I don't accept are like Bitcoin and Forex traders, but otherwise I will accept people. And someone like a year ago was like, why do you accept people? And it's to spread the message. So my thing about LinkedIn is you have to be helpful. Like you have to put something out. You like, I have, I have a colleague who he just posts where he's going or where he's training. And I'm like, that's not helpful. Like post something that like, I'm going to XYZ place, but they asked me this question or, you know, do it. So it's actually, I try to be helpful. And actually I just posted my podcast that just dropped today. The word is defalcation. I've had two people who didn't know what the word defalcation is and I didn't know it either. So like it was a helpful word. So as long as you're trying to help people on LinkedIn and to connect people, like I connect people all day long on LinkedIn. I just, I love it. I, I so let's talk about a class for investigators to use it because I've gotten work. I, I definitely get work from LinkedIn. Um, I don't get it from Twitter, but I love Twitter. <laughs> so, and you have gotten better. You, Hal used to never even open it and now he at least opens it. So that's good. Yeah, Four he doesn't. Steps. He doesn't love living out there in the in the social media space that much. I I enjoy Twitter, and I I think I get it a little bit more. You know, it's really just Twitter is like it's like a bar where you're just tossing jokes back and forth. Um, I don't know what the metaphor would be for LinkedIn. It's something. It's something different. Uh, what what would that metaphor be? What would what would the analogy be? I don't know if it would be like you know a rotary meeting or. <laughs> something like something a little more networking toastmasters so, yeah 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 something like that so yeah but but you're getting out there yeah i i think i don't what i don't have down is kind of the commenting i need to comment on other people's posts more and just pay attention a little bit more but you know your every your attention one's attention is is finite and it's it's tough but yeah. um but to me like as long as the, the one main thing is I just want to go into the world interested in other people and not just telling everyone about myself. It's like the way some people do social media, it feels like sitting next to that bore at the party who just drones on and on and on and brags, you know, nobody wants to sit next to that guy. But the person who asks you about yourself, even if it's to cover shyness and awkwardness, that person makes you feel great. Yeah. So that's so funny. So uh, pre-COVID, it was like a year and a half ago, I went to a dinner event and um, it was in Portland and there were rules. You had to be accepted. So it was limited to like 30, 36 people. You had to be accepted. It wasn't inexpensive, but one of the rules when you walked in was you could not say what you did for a living. 
you actually, so there was 20 minutes where you couldn't say what you did for a living. And then maybe it was longer than that. And then you sat down and you had dinner and you still couldn't say, and then you kind of did the two truths and a lie. And then people tried to figure out what you did. Well, no one figured out what I did, but, um, and I just heard this guy who's written a book, You're Invited by John Levy. And I think the woman who did it in Portland based it on his. And so, yeah, it, it was so much fun to meet people and you had no idea what they did. You just, you asked them about, you know, I don't know, not what car you drive or, you know, what's, what's the favorite hike you did recently or something like that. So yeah, it's, it was really, really fun. I could so see you and Hal doing something like that in Nashville. It sounds like, I mean, the great thing about not seeing what you do is that people just naturally, when they talk about work, they, not everybody, but people tend to immediately sort themselves into a hierarchy of importance or coolness or whatever it is their value system is or success. And it's, it's not fun. It's, it's, I don't enjoy it. Whereas if you're talking about anything, but then you're talking a little bit more about your real self and you don't, it doesn't become a hierarchy. It doesn't become a, who's the coolest, who's the most successful, who, you know, and I don't know about you, but this year has made me care so much less about traditional ideas of what success is, about power, about achievements or awards or, or anything that impresses other people. I really, I really just care about how I spend my days and how, how I treat people. Yeah. COVID is awful, but it's not. I mean, there's been some good parts to COVID. I I mean, you know, we're lucky in that you have a tech company and you can affect people all over. I really had, I was just teaching and training fraud examiners and auditors and CPAs. And now it's much broader because people can find you easier. So, and I don't have to hop on a plane every single time I go and do it. So. Yeah. And you know, as, as we know, some people have it so, so, so hard. And I, I feel incredibly grateful that we get to still do our work and we get to do it safely. And we have the kind of work that is not, you know, my days haven't changed all that much, you know, for a year, we, we moved this, I'm in the studio here, but we moved to studio home, which if you watched any of those, (laughs) those weekly briefings that Hal and I shoot together, you saw that the background went from a black curtain to um, a bookshelf or the backyard or, or whatever the kitchen. Um, But that was really the main change for me. You know, for Hal, there was a difference. He wasn't, he didn't, there were no jury trials and he didn't fly to Texas to work for his defense attorneys, but my days were very much like they had been before. So that's, that's pretty lucky to not have my life terribly circumscribed. I, I miss people, but I found ways to connect with people all the same as like, I'm sure you did the people you want to connect with. You will, you will do it. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I have a list of questions, but I kind of just always, you know, go off on them, but I'm going to try and get, I, I think this one's going to be fascinating for you just because of all the cool stuff you've done. If you could turn back time and talk to your 18 year old self, what would you tell yourself? Don't make decisions about your life based on what you think will impress other people. 
Think about how you want to spend your days. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said earlier, you were a Russian major and biology, Russian and biology. I don't want to diss the biology. Um, if you went back to school, is there anything different you would study? I think I might, well, knowing what I ended up doing, I think I might be more interested in studying history or like maybe I would stick with the Russian, but I might, instead of, you know, I didn't, I obviously didn't really do anything with the biology, even though it's super interesting and a great subject. Um, but now I love, I love reading nonfiction and history and politics and philosophy, and maybe I would go that direction a little bit more. Um, I think I sometimes have a, I have a recurring dream where, <laughs> where I'm in college again, and I'm looking at the course catalog and I'm so excited about what I'm going to take. That's really nerdy. I know, but oh I would God. probably take more writing courses. I barely wrote. It's so ridiculous. I barely wrote in, in college because I had taken I had taken enough AP classes that I kind of I kind of AP'd out of all the classes I would have taken in college that would have had me writing well shoot I, sh I wasn't working on my writing for those four years really that that's a little bit of a regret I wish I had worked on it more it really is a skill when I was writing my book and I had an editor and the editor would send things back I was like, wow, that, and I took AP English, always got to be, Teresa Brandon, always got to be, um, but it's a skill that you need to work on, and when I worked on it, now I see people as like, you know, just the wrong grammar, not a big deal, but when you notice it, you notice it, so. If yeah. you're a grammar nerd, it's, it's actually painful, and I can't, and it's, I, I don't, it's, it's not that I'm judging because you either know it or you don't. And, and that's okay. I don't really smart people just don't pay attention to grammar or spelling or can't see it. And that's, that's not, it's a sign of nothing except not noticing. But um, my mom was an English teacher. And so she made me so anal and I can't help it. <laughs> it actually hurts my eyeballs, you know? Oh my God. That's so funny. Um, if you could work in a different job field, what would it be? Would you be a pilot like a, like of a big plane? Well, you know that when you become a flight instructor, that's where most of my colleagues were headed. They were all putting hours in the logbook to get one of those heavy iron jobs or, you know, to fly corporate or to fly for the airlines. And I have a lot of friends who do that and they're really happy there and they love it, but I don't think I would love that. I, I didn't want to, I loved being a flight instructor. It felt very free and I had a great time teaching people and helping them learn something they loved. But um, no, I really didn't want to fly for the airlines. I, I have a friend who has a great job. Some of my pilot friends who I could imagine, you know, that would have been fun. Like I've got one friend, she is a math professor and an aerobatics instructor. Have wow. you ever heard of that combination before? <laughs> That's pretty cool, huh? Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. That's the other thing about like COVID and everything like that. We have met people that we would have never met before. Um, and technology, just, you know, met people we would have never met before. I have been to some, well, and this just makes me think, there's so many, there are so many aviation jobs that I would never have thought of. That's one of them. 
but I used to go every couple of years, I would go to this women in aviation conference. Imagine going to one building where there are thousands of women who are all either pilots or in aviation careers. That is a fun group of people. They, I mean, first of all, they had to be out of the box thinkers to even consider doing something in aviation because, you know, especially when I was a kid, it just didn't cross, it didn't cross your mind if you were a female to do certain things because just nobody steered you that way. But my dad did. So um, just a bunch of, it's just a bunch of fun people. And if you're a pilot, you probably are going to have some adventures along the way. So was your dad a pilot? No, he wanted to be though. And, and so when, when I got my flight instructor certificate and I had the little Cessna, I had a Cessna 172, he and I had it together. I gave him lessons. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And he, he never wound up taking, getting his license, but we had a blast together. He got right up to the point of getting the license and he said he didn't really care to get it. He just wanted to fly with me. So. Oh, that is awesome. Oh my God. That is so awesome. Um, What do you think people struggle with in the PI business? Running a business. That's my take. You know, that's, and that, that's my take based on what I hear people saying because they become investigators because they want to go out and do investigations. They don't want to do accounting or marketing or spreadsheets or any of the other things you have to do to actually run a business. And a lot of them hate it. Some people are great at it, but a lot of the guys, not just guys, a lot of PIs just don't like the, the running, the day-to-day running of the business part. And um, I, think that, I think that might be the hardest thing. So how does pursuit help them with that? I hope that it, you know, people write a lot of articles that are, that are very candid and about what it's like to run a business. And, and, and I'm so, I'm so glad people are willing to, and sometimes people like, I can't remember who wrote this one, but somebody wrote a great piece about just ways that he had failed, what reasons that he almost had to, to close his business. And my gosh, how helpful is that? First of all, it's helpful because he, he got, he got really pract- like really specific about what went wrong, what he did wrong, where he spent money in the wrong way. But also it makes people feel, it relieves people's shame about having the same problem. If somebody else who you respect says, I had this same problem and I almost had to close my business, then you don't have to see it as a failure anymore. So like the shared stories give people ideas for how to do better. And it also gives people room to forgive themselves if every, everything doesn't go perfectly. You know, that's, that's how I hope it helps. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I never thought I'd become an investigator and, you know, running it as a business is, you know, that's a whole other part of it. So you've got the training for the investigative side, but then you also have to deal with the nuts and bolts side of it. So, yeah. And we do this, you know, whatever, I as a writer, you as an investigator, a lot of the folks, some people work for companies, but a lot of people just work totally solo. And how there's no way for people, there's no way for us to know how other people are doing it. Because 
a lot of us don't have mentors. We just are figuring out what to do as we go. And so just having someone write a story or agree to be interviewed and tell you how they do a thing, that's just super helpful. Yeah. No yeah. matter no matter what it is, just to give you ideas for, just like I was saying before about coming up with the idea to be a pilot. In order to think of being a pilot, you have to know one or see one or you have to find a reason to imagine it. And so writing stories, telling stories helps people imagine a different way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what advice would you give someone who wants to be an investigator? Like what, do you have one thing that you would say, I get a lot of people that ask me, how can I do what you do? Is there one thing? Well, if I said the one thing sort of broadly, it would encompass more things. But the one thing, of course, is educate yourself. And that is everything from reading articles, reading books, listening to podcasts like yours about other people and how they've done it. Um, listening to Scott Fulmer's podcast, listening to Barry McGuire's podcast. Uh, there are so many, we have so many great webinars at PI Education about people where we interview people telling how they do their work. And um, there are books out there. There are all kinds of how-to books. There's uh, Tyler Maroney's book about a very fascinating type of investigation that, that I didn't know much about or several different kinds. And and then, but a huge part of that education would be, can you go find a mentor? Can you find someone who's actually doing the thing that you would love to do? Boy, if you can, there can, that has got to be the most valuable thing in the world because that person will steer you away from some things and toward other things and will also root for you. Well, that's why Great Women in Fraud started. <laughs> Because I was getting so many of those questions and I was like, as much as I want to be on the phone with these people all day long, like it just didn't make sense because I was repeating myself or I was like, hmm, did I just say that? Because I think I said it last week too. So yeah, no, there is. And you and Hal were so nice and you sent me the book Two Truths and a Lie by Ellen McGarren. And oh my God, I mean, she made me feel so incompetent, like not incompetent, but like I would have given up. Like that book and her dogged determination. And um, and I know my husband would have said I was wackadoodle. Um, but to see someone so committed, it, it and, and also she comes from a background that this isn't, that it's not like her background. It just, it was a really good and story. And I will link that in the show notes to do the two truths and a lie because I thought it was really good. Um, uh, I just, yeah, you, we get people in this industry who you would never think they're going to be an investigator. She laid tile for a while. But she had, she's apparently had, you know, she was at Miami Herald and several other big shot newspapers. So she had the journalistic chops like crazy, but also, and she even said she just has, she has, a, not only does she have the skills and she worked on them but she has a thing inside her that has to know. And I remember there's one quote she in the book somewhere, she said something like, when I'm told no, it pisses me off and I got to know. So don't tell me no, unless you want me to keep going. 
<laughs> so there must be something innate in her that is just cussed and, and must go. And, and when you meet her, you, you probably saw the webinar. She's so, she, she, she doesn't seem, she's not like the, um, the punching, yelling, scary PI of fiction, you know, she, she's, she's courteous, insanely articulate, intelligent, sort of almost like so polite that she is apologetic in a way, so yes. kind and thoughtful. Um, but I, I don't want to, um, I'm not going to tell her no, now that I know this. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, she, she made me feel incompetent as a writer because that book is just beautifully, beautifully done. Yeah, that, that is the best description, beautifully done. And like, I mean, I read tons and tons of books and like, you know, Tyler Maroney's book, but hers was beautiful and it flowed. And it was like, I, I almost want to say she's a writer first because it was so well-written and um, yeah, it was, it was wonderful. I highly recommend it. And, um, and the other thing I liked about it was like, it was one thing that happened in her life. Granted, it was a big thing watching someone being executed that literally followed her for 25 plus years. I, I yeah. just find that amazing. Yeah. I was, I was so in awe of, of her work on the book, just like you said, her doggedness and also the beautiful writing that when I interviewed her for the webinar at the beginning of it, I went into complete nervousness, panic mode and acted like an idiot. I was so, I was so nervous. It made no sense. Like she's so kind. Why was I that nervous? But I think I was just, there was a little, there was some, there was some worship happening. <laughs> fan girl. Yeah. Fan I girl. Fangirl really badly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I love that it's fangirl for a woman investigator because, you know, I mean, I don't know what the demographics are, women and men versus, um, in investigations. Do you know? Do you guys know? I should know, but I don't. But I mean, just anecdotally, the percentage is very low. Same as in same as in aviation. That percentage I do. I have a better shot at knowing it's like less than 10 percent, maybe. And as you as you move up in experience and into the airlines, it's more like 5%, I think. Yeah, yeah. So when you get someone who stands out like that, and I've been retweeting her stuff and she like retweets my stuff and I'm just like fangirl, total fangirl. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, so going to the close, even though I could talk to you for days, like truly, I mean, we just did a webinar last week on leadership that was so much fun that I was like, oh my God, we have to do this an hour. And I'm like, that's going to be a long time. And all of a sudden it was over. So, um, we know we can find you online on LinkedIn and Twitter, but where else can we, where else is the best place to reach out to you? Um, you mean like an email or something like that? Well, email or just uh, like the pursuit or PI education. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so pursuitmag.com is, is our, our online magazine for PIs. PIeducation.com is where you can find our online education, our online courses. And then I have a personal blog that I haven't updated in a really long time, <laughs> but I have my bio there and I have um, lots of lots of stuff, just links to, to writing. And that's aviatrixkim.com. I love that. Aviatrix. Like that is so cool. 
Totally, totally cool. Okay, then these are new questions for the end. What have you been binging? Have you been binging anything special since COVID? A lot. We've been binging a lot of stuff. The most recent one was the Hemingway documentary. Ooh, I have I haven't watched that yet, but I've heard great things. Did you like it? I really did. I always like Ken Burns' work, and um, this was this was super interesting from the point of view of the making of a writer, but also from the point of view of this, this is not a good human being. <laughs> and you just, you just have to get comfortable with the fact that you can enjoy his writing or appreciate what he achieved and not respect him as a person. And you can, those two things are possible. It, you, they can coexist. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to have to do that. I just started the mayor of Eastwood or it's the, have you watched that? No, I'm interested. What do you Ooh, say? I, I'm three episodes in and I, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. It's like, I'm not, no spoilers, but good people do bad things. So, um, and I mean, Kate Winslet, she's so good. She is so good. Love yeah. her. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely into it. I, I want to do it. Um, yeah. I can't think of the, well, we just, we were behind on this, but we just finished the last season of Sherlock. That was, that's, that's the binge thing right before Hemingway. Yeah. But you know what else we really like? Um, we like main cabin masters. <laughs> Wait, what is that? It's, <laughs> it is these, these guys, this family from Maine and some of their friends, and they fix up old cabins, old camp. They call them camps. Ooh. So it's just a fix them up show, but they're really sweet and funny. It's not overproduced. It's not super slick. And they go, they don't, they don't spend $200,000 fixing these things up. The, the budget is never more than 50 and they're resurrecting old family camps in the middle of nowhere and fixing up an old thing that means something to people. And it's just so happy and so positive and so sweet. And plus that we have our own little camp that we're always working on. And you get ideas from that and inspiration too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Well, when you, you, we have a cabin, a rustic family cabin from 1968. So when you guys come out to Oregon, you can come and stay at it because I think you would really enjoy it, but it is rustic. So it does have a toilet and no wasps. So perfect. It, that's perfect. <laughs> new room. Well, Kim, I can't thank you enough for coming on. And I'm so honored that this is like your first side on this side of the table, because like I, you guys ask her, oh my God, she's so interesting. So I just want to thank you immensely for coming on. I want to thank you immensely for having me. I, um, I love talking to you and whatever excuse we can come up with, let's talk more. Yeah. Yeah. And reach out great women in fraud, reach out to Kim for sure. Okay. Thank you, Kelly. This has been great. Kim is truly an entrepreneur in the world of investigators and investigations. She has created and continues to create a vibrant community that benefits both investigators and their clients. Be sure to reach out to Kim online. And if you need online training, check out PI education. I was so honored to be the first to have Kim on this side of the mic for a podcast. I was so shocked to hear she had not been asked before, but she is the wizard behind the curtain. I'm inspired by her creativity, inspiration, and just all around goodness. Thank you again for listening. 
Be sure to leave a review or share the episode with some other great women in fraud. See you next week. We are having Jenny Radcliffe, known as the People Hacker, and I haven't laughed so hard on a podcast. She is fantastic, and she channeled Pink during the episode. Have a great week.